0: Yes, now to some end-of-year report cards. How is our economy travelling as 2023 closes? The just-released national accounts say growth has slid to a tiny 0.2% in the last quarter. Now, does that matter? It certainly raised some eyebrows. Then yesterday, the Treasurer and Reserve Bank Head agreed on some new guidelines for judging and reporting inflation. There's also the question preoccupying quite a few observers, and this week covered this as well, whether we are becoming a land of oligopolies, which is reducing our dynamism and productivity. In fact, competition policy is being reviewed right now, as they showed. Higher interest rates are also hitting, especially certain sectors. Does this all mean the Australian economy has, economy has sort of hit the wall? Well to wrestle with this I'm pleased to welcome Jared Minak. He's the founder of Minack Advisors and a former very well-known Morgan Stanley economist. And the economist Nikki Hutley also rejoins us. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you, Gerard.
0: So comparatively, I think, you know, we've been seen to have uh, had an economy that's proven to be almost unsinkable for the past three decades. I wonder if you both consider that still the case. Nikki. first from you, and then I'll go to Gerard.
1: Yeah, look, even before COVID, um, Geraldine, we were really starting to see very um, slow uh, growth in the economy. Um, we've had very little growth per capita. Um, and in fact, over the last five quarters, we've seen that um, go backwards in four of those last five quarters. So it it isn't just a post-COVID phenomenon as we've tightened interest rates. This was something that was happening to Australia before we went into that. We haven't had strong productivity growth for a long time. We really have been reliant on certain sectors to to grow the economy. Um, And after many reforms, particularly in the 80s and 90s, um, we've just really not managed to to lift our economy to a new level. It's something, though, that's seen right around the world, this productivity um, stagnation um, in most parts of the world, certainly the developed world. So... Yes, we have some big challenges, um, but we also have lots of really good resources. We have smart people. We're very wealthy. Um, we have a you know good system of government, so we have the means to get ourselves out of this funk. But uh, we are we are definitely in a period of malaise. Some of which, of course, is because of those higher interest rates you mentioned, but other factors are, are you know that particularly that that productivity. Mm. And I know Jared's talked about this. And how do you how do you see it, Jared?
2: No, Nikki and I are in furious agreement. Um, I mean, I think we are hugely flattered by strong population growth. I think the appropriate way to consider the success of the economy is to look at it on a per-person basis because that is a reflection of living standards. And on that basis, it's not well understood just how appalling our our record was coming into the pandemic. Uh, On my numbers, we'd had the worst 15 years for per-person GDP Uh, since the 1930s, since the Great Depression. So, in other words, the worst 15 years uh, in the post-war period, and the only thing that kept us above the waterline, so to speak, was that strong population growth. We had the pandemic. Obviously, that has created some cyclical pressures, which the RBA is responding to with higher rates, but I don't think higher rates are really the key to the story, and uh, unless we do make some structural changes, as Nicky alluded to, uh, we'll go back to the same old low growth low wage uh, economy that we had prior to the pandemic
0: but this high m- migration drive you're you're very critical you you say this is it's a dumb strategy why so
2: i think what it's involved is a, in a sense a substitution for for capital for labor in other words businesses have relied on more workers rather than more productive workers over the last 15 years. And one of the startlingly bad features of those last 15 years is that if you look at uh, business investment, particularly non-mining investment, uh, it's averaged a decade below the low point we saw in the 1990s recession. And the 1990s recession was the worst in the post-war period. In other words, businesses have virtually given up On investing. And if you don't give your workers more capital to play with, they're not going to become more productive. So I think business has taken the the lazy way. Um, There's been a sort of matching laziness uh, up until a few years ago on the parts of government who underinvested. We're now seeing some catch up there. But uh, by relying on workers rather than capital, it's a low productivity behind us and it's low productivity ahead of us. We stay with the same strategy.
0: Because I think you make the point in your writing that in the post-war era, when we did seriously boom, we had this fast population growth because we decided we had to be bigger and fuller, otherwise we were more at risk. But that was accompanied by high investment. That is what has dropped away, as you say, non-mining investment has levelled average levels only seen at the nadir of the 1990s recession. I mean is this um business just being unimaginative or what what is the problem why why won't they invest in this burgeon, this place that's got so much pro, so many prospects such that people want to come here so i mean there's a bit of a mismatch
2: yes i mean look, i think yeah, the, the past is uh, is a different country as they say I, I think in the in the 50s and 60s when we relied on high population growth there were a few differences. One, we were bringing in workers that were employed in heavily unionised workforces to work behind tariff barriers. So there was a lot of capex there in manufacturing and that meant we could pay them and they were protected. Now we're bringing in a lot of workers into a deregulated labour market and I would argue it's putting downward pressure on wages. The second big difference is the one you just mentioned, which is we did very high capex back back in the 50s and 60s and now we do very little. Um, And the third difference is, we were bringing workers to come to cities that were still quite small. I mean, my father was a migrant. Um, He built his first home in Melbourne, uh, in Oakley, which I guess in Sydney terms is probably about as far out as Chatswood. There's a picture of him building his house surrounded by cows. Um, So adding workers then uh, in cheap land, accessible cities is very different To adding workers now to cities that are overcrowded with very high property prices that make adding the infrastructure that much more expensive. So there are several factors at play. But on the corporate capex, I think in your introduction you mentioned some of the oligopolisation, so growing corporate power. It's quite a lazy way to grow, but it's quite efficient. We've got a profit share of GDP at an all-time high, with a corporate business investment share of GDP at an all-time low. From a profit, (laughs) from a capitalist point of view. What's wrong with that picture? Mm,
1: Nothing. No. Yeah, uh, I'd actually challenge a little bit of that because I think the other thing that we need to consider is the the structure of the Australian economy. Over the last 30 years in particular, you look at the demise of the importance of manufacturing. Um, even mining is a, is a relatively small um, part of the overall economy. Um, yes, it's big in export dollar terms, but in terms of um, both you know, the value added uh, and, and it's certainly employment, it's it's really quite small. Those sort of heavy um, capital intensive sectors are no longer the ones that drive our economy. And if you think about the the average cost of, of capital for, you know, the big sectors that use technology, thinking about professional services, um, you know, wholesale and retail trade, um, they they're using a lot of technology that doesn't cost the same. It costs a lot less to put in a computer system more or connect yourself to the cloud than it does to um you know to put in massive mining machinery for example. So there might be a little bit of something of that going on. And of course productivity in, in services sectors is much harder to measure. Um, not saying that Jared's not on on the money with the overall trend, but I think there's it's, it's not just that, um, you know, certainly the lack of competition is, is absolutely a factor. And we're seeing that again around the world. Um, a lot of research in economics uh, academia is going into that but there so, are also
0: those shape-shifting factors. Yeah, no, I take your point. Um, and, I mean, that's the, then that begs the question about whether you need government regulation to to break up some of these... Extra, I mean, the, monop- the oligopolies are, are incredible. Um, two major supermarkets, 70% of the market, one dominant airline, two-thirds of the market, two beer companies, 90% of the market, and so on and so forth. Um, so, can you see... Uh, Gerard, uh, government's starting to think like this, starting to consider um, whether they're going to have to intervene in different ways. Is there is there new thought emerging here or not?
2: Oh, I, I think we are seeing some good signs on, on the competition front. I mean, it, it's early days, but I think uh, some of the moves on the Productivity Commission and competitive law, Andrew Lee is the Federal Minister who uh, knows his beans on this, uh, given his background as a professional economist. Uh, I think they're all promising signs, but it's going to take time. These are deeply entrenched interests that we are going to need to weaken. And they're not going to give up without a fight. Um, so I think we, you know, we need perhaps also tax changes to further encourage CapEx. And I would I would moderate the degree of um, migration to in a sense force people to make their workers more productive. I mean, I absolutely take Nikki's point on that. There's been a big mix shift in the economy. We are moving away from capital-intensive sectors. I think that explains part of the decline in investment. But investment by corporates is just so low. Um, I think it reflects their laziness as much as as much as the economy shifting its shape. And yeah, you, as I said,
0: yeah, you won't get a lot of that coverage in the Financial Review, will you? You know, I mean, should we be angry about this? <laughs>
1: We should be very angry, but I think there's a problem also in that Australia is still a relatively small economy, you know, 26 odd million people spread out over vast areas and trying to get, you know, more telcos or supermarkets um, or airlines into that, you know, given the investment that's required um, and the return when you've only got a relatively small segment of the population. I mean, Aldi's come in as a third player because it had a massive um, base elsewhere in the world Mm -hmm. starting from scratch in this market where, you know, there there, there isn't a huge market. You've got to be very careful about what the opportunity is there. Um, we know with lots of sectors like transport there just isn't a role, you know, there are too many market barriers there um, for for private sector. See,
0: you have a particular interest, I know, Nikki, in getting super funds to co-invest with government in, you know, what uh, Jim Chalmers describes as national economic priorities. And there's a sort of further discussion of this in the wake of Origin, you know, particularly about the net zero transition, let alone housing. Uh, Is that, might that be one of the circuit breakers?
1: Look, I think we've got to be a bit careful about what we expect super funds to do, but certainly with the net zero transition, a lot of patient capital is required And we've come to expect, you know, we get year after year of strong return, strong return, strong return. There are, of course, a lot of green and ethical funds that are popping up, and these are becoming increasingly popular with Australians who are prepared to be patient. But as long as they are measured against a benchmark that just says, measure against these banks and and resource companies that are emissions intensive, you're never going to get the right outcomes. But it's, it's a... It's a difficult mix because even with housing where we would love to see more private sector investment and the government has helped with um, build to rent and tax incentives in the in the last budget, we need to sort of make it so that those kind of those are the policies that help the private sector to right. come to the party to solve some of those big social problems.
0: Jared, do you think that this might unleash the dynamism and investment you want to see?
2: Uh, Well, I I share some of Nikki's concerns. I mean, there's a risk. I mean, do do we have a superannuation scheme that's focused on ensuring people have a good retirement or do we try and mix their aims? And there's dangers there uh, encouraging superannuation to go into what would be, in a sense, suboptimal areas. Uh, Obviously, if they think it's it's a good investment, they'll do it anyway. They don't need any overt encouragement. So, Absolutely, let's remove barriers, but I wouldn't want to compel them to go into areas that would effectively be sacrificing pensioners' returns in 20 years' time for something that we're looking to do now. But I think there are other ways that yeah. we can sort of accelerate things. I mean, I do think that we should be more strict on preventing mergers. Uh, I think we should encourage competition where we can. I mean, transport... Is, is one area. Why don't why, why didn't we let in Katara, the Qatar airlines to come in to put some pressure on fees, airline fees that are obviously sky high in Australia. I mean, simple things like that, I think will help at the margin. We've just been, I argue too complacent for the last 20 or 30 years. And, um, the result is a slow growth, low productivity economy.
0: So, uh, and uh, Nikki, final word to you really. Um, does uh, Do we need to be more frightened in order to get more done or does that not do that? Does that tend to close everything down? That's what I'm, you know, what are the sparks to, because there's all sorts of little startups. So they're happening on a smaller level, but it's obviously got to be on this next level um, to create jobs, to encourage people to move around and so on. You know, how is, what, What's the best spur that you can see coming into 2024?
1: Yeah, so we saw research um, earlier in the year from E61 showing that business dynamism, and it was this was repeated in the intergenerational report, business dynamism in Australia. That that rate of um, startups coming through, rate of turnover of jobs, has fallen dramatically in Australia. So we need. It's a combination of things, but you know, government can only do so much. We need to, for the capital sector, they really are lazy and the Reserve Bank has puzzled for ages on why investment has been so low. So, you know, this is, it's a, it's a multi-pronged attack and government needs to look at all of these factors.
0: Lazy capital. I wonder if that's going to be a little phrase that ought to accompany us uh, into 2024. Look, thank you both very much indeed. Jared uh, Gerard And lovely to talk to you again after quite a few years. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Geraldine. And by the way, I know you was in the end of the, the finish line, but congratulations on a great career.
0: Thank you very much indeed. Thanks indeed. And Nikki Hutley, uh, thank you to you too.
2: Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.